We are in the third and final message of this three-week series, Call to Pray. And this whole series, you know, all three messages in a way are a preparation, a, a prelude to the next series, which will begin two weeks from today, called Open. And the purpose of that series is really, as I said a minute ago, it's, a, it's, it's just an extended series of messages, one passage of Scripture, Jesus talking to maybe the ultimate outsider in his day in John chapter 4. And it's really an opportunity for us to slow down and take a look at what it really means for you and me through the principles of Jesus himself to actually share the message of hope um, with the spiritually lost people around us. That's what we're going to do. This series is a preparation because, you know, sharing our faith, we talked about this, we started talking about this in September in, the, in our last of four habits. Sharing our faith, sharing one's faith, has never been an easy task, okay? I don't wake up in the morning, I don't think any of us wake up in the morning thinking about the spiritually lost people around us. It's not an easy task, but I would suggest to you that it is perhaps more challenging today, that is the 2021, 20, uh, more challenging to share our faith in our culture, in our, in our society, than it has perhaps, perhaps ever been or been in a very, very long time. That's why we must begin with prayer, when I was thinking about this year, this season. Before I wanted to talk about my desire for me, for us as a congregation, to be more open, more honest, more urgent about sharing the gospel with people, the people that we live with and work with and, and are in this community, in our communities. We need to start with prayer. Not only start with prayer, asking God to go ahead of us, but praying specifically. Okay, that's really what today's about. This is what today's sermon's about. Is praying specifically. Many of you, maybe, who have been using our, our habit journal, if you are, um, or one of your own version of this, every day, at least on the five days where you use this journal during the week, it says, the third question says every single day, who are you praying for today? Right? It's an inspiration uh, to, to inspire you, to a prompt for you and me to be thinking, not just praying in general, God help this world, but God, I'm praying for this person. This man, this woman, this friend. We need to pray specifically for the lost people in our community to be in touch with the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So let me, let me um, recap the series we've been in. Okay, preparation series, call to pray. Number one, we said two weeks ago, we need to pray for a burden. Okay, pray for a burden. This is biblical theology I'm giving. None of us wake up, as I said a second ago, thinking about um, the bigger things. None of us are waking up thinking about the broken people. I'm talking about spiritually broken, hurting, hopeless, that live and work with you. We mostly wake up thinking about ourselves, thinking about our own needs, our own wants, our own desires. We need to start by praying for a burden. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. We looked at it, Matthew chapter 9. He said, listen, guys, let me give you a vision of how I see the world. You see them as people that drive nice cars or don't drive nice cars, who live here or live there, who, who happen to you know, present themselves in such a way. But let me tell you how I see them. I see people as helpless and harassed, he said. Like, it's a metaphor, it's a simile, I should say, like people who are sheep that don't have a shepherd. It's just a very simple imagery to say, listen, you're not talking about agriculture. Listen, they're people that are lost, that don't have any guidance, that are walking around in life without knowing where they're going, okay? And what life is really about. They're sheep without a shepherd. And he's saying, listen, pray to the Lord of the harvest, okay? Another way of talking about God. Colin just mentioned a different one, the God of revival. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, 
that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. Jesus, listen, it starts with a burden. If you don't have a burden, if you don't have a, a, a wake-up call, a reality that people around you, right, are spiritually lost, the way God sees the world, then you'll never pray for them. It starts with a burden. Second message we talked about last week was praying for power, okay? And we specifically talked about the power of the Holy Spirit, Okay? The Holy Spirit, we, the Bible talks about praying filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit, it's not, it's not this overly mystical thing that we, that we should miss. It simply is a way of talking about God's power, outs, a power outside of yourself, taking over your life, okay? taking coming into your life. I, God comes into my life in the presence of the Holy Spirit and gives me a power. Right? The mind of Christ, the power of Christ to do things that I couldn't necessarily do on my own. To have a courage and a wisdom and an insight to be able to engage the world in ways that I couldn't do it without him. Okay? We need to pray for a burden. We need to pray for power. Okay? Last week's message. And today, the third message is, these go together, we need to pray for people. We need to get specific. Don't, don't raise your hand, but are you praying for people specifically today? You know, I mean, a name in your family, in your community, in your office? Are you praying for people specifically today? That's the point of this message. Pray for people, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 6. Follow along as I read these few verses. Colossians 4, 2 through 6 says these words. Apostle Paul, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, Paul speaking of himself and his um, traveling companions, his, his partners, that God may open a door for our message, that we may proclaim it, proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I might proclaim it clearly, right? Even he needed this help, as I should. Be wise, now speaking to them, in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer Everyone. This is a summary paragraph. We're not studying the book of Colossians today. And it's a summary paragraph after three chapters of deep theology in this letter. But he ends this very deep theology with very practical advice. Because the purpose of theology, the purpose of deep theology, ultimately, of all deep theology in the New Testament, is that that theology will manifest itself in the mission of the church. The mission of the church is my mission. It's your mission. We adopt the same mission that Jesus had, if you know your New Testament. And that mission simply, in our language, same uh, reflected from the, of the Bible's teaching, to invite people. doesn't have any qualification. You know, tall people, short people, black people, white people. doesn't matter. Inviting people into a relationship, a life-changing relationship. That is the mission. And this is where Paul concludes this very important letter. Ultimately, the purpose is that we might adopt this mission. Now, we're going to celebrate the gospel today in communion. This is, a, this is a celebration of the gospel. But before we do that, I want to challenge us, right, on this very work that we're called, right? Not only to celebrate it, but to share it and to pray for others. Three things in this passage, in this message titled Pray for People. The first one, we just read the verses. Here's what I think they say. Pay attention to the people God has placed in your life. Pay attention to the people 
God has placed in your life. Verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer. Now, if you read the whole paragraph, which we did, specifically the prayer here is for people, an open door to share the message, the mystery of Christ, that I might proclaim it clearly. It's very focused on talking about praying for people devoted. And he says, be watchful. Now, that's a word that we don't use very much. It's kind of an old word, but they've continued to keep it in the most modern translations. We, you know, we don't, when we think of watching, Typically, if I use the word, the, meta, the, the, the verb watch, it's usually something passive, like I'm going to watch the football game, or I'm going to watch TV, or I'm going to watch people. I'm going to people watch, okay? But that, in the term in the New Testament, Jesus often said this, many times his disciples, which is perhaps where Paul's getting it, watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. And what he meant by that is to be alert. That's what he meant. A certain, uh, to be alert to what is going on around you, specifically in the lives of people around you. I had this guy who mentored me many, many years ago when I first became a Christian, this young pastor, and he would always say this to me. He'd say, Rob, you need to learn to pray with your eyes open. That's what he would say. Pray with your eyes open, which means you need to be living your life actively watching and saying, what is going on with the people around me? Am I paying attention to the people that are around me? Let me say this. God calls some of us, some groups of us in the history of the church in this one, to go to faraway places to share the gospel. We talked about this a month ago with our missions conference. That happens. But the overwhelming majority of us, has always been true in the church, God calls us to the places where we are, okay, to the places where we are. It calls you to where you are, okay? Not just to live there, to be there, to sleep there, to eat there, to work there, but to calls you to pay attention to the people that are in your lives. That he's calling you to be open your mind to what's going on. He's calling you to the people, okay, where you live and work, okay? The prayer that is encouraged here in this passage, listen very carefully, the prayer that is encouraged here in this passage is based on a conviction that God is already active in the people in your life. Let me say it again. It's based on a conviction, right? That God, I don't know where he's active. It's not an evenly distributed kind of thing. You know, so-and-so, this lady, this friend, they might be completely um, uninterested in the things of God today. Three years from now, God changes their life. Not so true for this person. But it's based on a conviction. Watch. Be watchful and thankful because God is actively engaged with the people in your life today. Right? Do you believe that? Do I believe that? We are... Here's the thing. We as a church, any church... We are not asking God to join us. God, we want to reach Penfield. We want to reach the east side. We want to reach the Rochester. We want to reach the world. We're not asking God, I'm talking about what does the Bible say theologically, that God would join us. God is asking us to join him. Think about that. That's what the Bible says. God is saying, listen, I'm already there. I'm already active. What I'm saying is, are you paying attention? Are you spiritually discerning in the places where you are so that you know how to pray for an open door and walk through an open door with the people that God has placed in your life today. That's what we're talking about. Let me give you one quick example. Acts chapter 18, when Paul is in a city that could not be more different than the one he grew up in. 
Okay, Paul happened to be a missionary. He was one of those special people that started churches. And he was called to go to places that he wouldn't normally go to, that he wouldn't normally want to go to. And even though the difference between, let's say, Palestine and Corinth, the city he was in, was not that far geographically, right? But it was worlds apart from the kind of place that he grew up. People didn't think like he did. They didn't eat like he did. They were not impressed with him. But God said, this is where I want you to go. But after a short time being there, Paul realized, this isn't Kansas anymore. These people don't really appreciate me. They could care less about the Old Testament. And God comes to him in a vision. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you. Why? Because I have many people in this city. So, so therefore, Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Paul's first impulse, if you read carefully the context, is he wants to get out of there, right? They're not just falling asleep in his sermons. They're, they, they, they're trying, to, trying to physically harm him. And he says, listen, I need to get out of here. And God says to him, listen, Paul, God doesn't always do this. Came in a vision. I want you to hear me. Listen, first of all, don't be afraid, which says something to me that Paul was afraid. You don't say to somebody, don't be afraid if you're not afraid. So take, take, take courage, friends, that even the great old apostle Paul was afraid. And Paul kept his mouth shut. Don't be silent. Paul, you're, you're kind of quiet lately at the marketplace. Don't be afraid. Don't be silent. I will protect you. Why? Because I love every single person in Corinth, which I think is theologically true, but that's not what he says. Because right now, today, whatever that day was, this time, this moment, I have not all many people in this city that are hidden in plain sight whose hearts are open to me, and those are the people I want you to reach. You don't know who they are, but I do, okay? This kind of prayer is built on a conviction. Do you have it? Do I have it? That God is already active in the people that are in your life, in your office, in your neighborhood, in your, your family. He's already there working in his own way in ways that you and I don't understand. He's not asking you to do that work. He's saying, listen, wake up, pay attention because I want, to I want to use you. And just like he's saying to Paul, he's saying that to me. There are people, here's the point of this sermon, you need to start praying for specifically. But it starts by paying attention. That's all, pay attention. It's not about going anywhere for most of us. It's about paying attention to the people that are already in our life. Second thing, pay, first we got to, we need to pay attention to the people God has placed in our life. Second thing, we need to pray for open doors. Paul's words, not mine. And pray for us too, that God may open a door to our message, that we might proclaim the mystery of Christ, a way of talking about the gospel. Now watch this. For which I am in chains. I find it interesting, if not ironic, that Paul asks for prayer for open doors to share the gospel when he's in prison, right? What, why, why say that? Well, if nothing else, it's sending a message to his congregation and through the Bible to our congregation and all congregations to say, listen, where you are is not so important. 
where you are. If Paul can pray for open doors when he's in prison and in chains, then you can pray for it wherever you are. Well, my office is just fuddy-duddy. There's nobody there. Or, you know, uh, you know, I'm not so important. And there's a lot of Christians here or there. We come up with a thousand excuses. But here's what, here's what we're learning from this passage. Where you are is not important. It's all about who you're with. It's about who you're with. And even in prison, Paul says, I pray. Pray for me that God will open a door. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a metaphor, it's an image, but he's saying, listen, there are many doors here. There are many people, but which one of those people in this moment is open to God? I don't know. I don't, I don't have that kind of knowledge. Either do you. I need to pay attention. I need to pray for an open door. And when that open door opens, we need to walk through it. It's about, it's about discernment of where God is working. Let me just share with you very quickly, very quickly. This is going to be Bible study uh, in, in, a, uh, in a moment. Three verses of Scripture. Each of these Scriptures, I'm just going to basically read them, are critical to this idea of opening doors in the life of the Apostle Paul. Listen carefully. First one, Acts 14, 27. On arriving there, the there is Antioch, they gathered the church together, Paul and his companions, and reported all that God had done. It was sort of a ministry report, right? All that God had done through them and how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Acts 14, 27 is the end of, wait for it, the first missionary journey. If you know your book of Acts, it's sort of a history of the early church. And it's, it's chronicling, it's scriptures, of course, it's scripture, it's inspired by God. But it's a history book chronicling the development of the early church starting in Jerusalem and working its way out to the uttermost parts of the world, to, let's say, Rome and Western Europe. And it's in, it happens in three, what we call, historians call or theologians call, missionary journeys. Acts 14.27 is at the end of missionary journey number one. We came together to celebrate what God had done. He'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, which was huge, non-Jewish people. The church was mostly Jewish for many, many years, maybe a dozen years when it started in the book of Acts. Now Gentiles, and it says, we want to give God credit. End of Acts 14, the end of the first missionary journey. Now, 2 Corinthians 2.12. Listen to these words. Now when I went to Troas, also a geography mentioned in the book of Acts, to preach the gospel of Christ. And I found that the Lord had opened a door for me. Now, most of us wouldn't know Troas. We couldn't find it on a map. But it is in the book of Acts. And let me tell you what Troas is, this no-nonsense small town. What happened in Troas that he's talking about? Troas was the place, Acts chapter 16, if you're a note-taker, it's the beginning of the second missionary journey. And it's where Paul gets this famous, if you, some of you would know this, we call it the Macedonian call. Paul's going this way. And he says, God's called us to go this way, friends. He's very specific on even the geography. That night, Acts 16, the Holy Spirit comes to him and says, listen, I know you're going this way, and yes, there are lost people all over the place that direction. But I'm calling you to go this way. And I got a vision of a man from Macedonia. And that Macedonia is Europe. When Paul said, okay, the next day I'm going to go this way from Troas, he went to Philippi. Ultimately, he went to Rome and he went to Spain. The second missionary journey. God opened a door. 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9. A little bit later in the narrative. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great... Door of effective work has opened to me 
and there are many who oppose me. When he's talking about Ephesus, you can write Acts 19 if you're a note taker. And that would be the beginning of the third missionary journey. And Paul, who was a guy who didn't spend a lot of, place, a lot of time in any one place, he was, you know, there was only one Christian or a few of them at the beginning. He was one of the, you might call him the 13th apostle. They couldn't just, you know, internet around and call churches. There wasn't any. He was starting them. He didn't spend a lot. Of, sometimes he would just spend one day in a place and start a church. But in Acts chapter 19, it says Paul went to Ephesus and he spent two whole years there. I mean, the guy who has all this important revelation from God, doesn't he have other places to go when the whole world is lost and in darkness? No, I want you to stay here because this is a geographical center for the world at this point in time. Stay here for a long time. God opened a door. Acts 14, Acts 16, Acts 19. He prayed for open doors. God opened those doors and he walked through them. I was on an airplane. First time I got an airplane um, since COVID this summer in August. I went to Europe. I think I told some of you that story. And on one of those long flights, the person sitting next to me was a young woman, I'm going to say about 30 years old. And like you, me, I'm the same way as you. You just want to get there and read your book or watch your movie and don't bother me. <laughs> and uh, not necessarily, but I, I just was taking a breath. And, and, and we, didn't even, we didn't even so much as exchange glances. I don't remember. She had earbuds in and, and, and we just, the plane took off. And, and I, the first hour or so, nothing. Not so much as a hello or a glance. Somewhere after the second hour, in the second hour, she interrupted me and asked me about the book that I was reading. Huh. And that conversation, that question led to a conversation that lasted the entire rest of that ride. It started with the ideas of the book. And after we started talking about the book, she had some interesting uh, th thoughts about the, the book and what I was reading and what she thought about it. That led to a conversation about her life. There's just some things I remember. How she was, had struggled with alcohol earlier in her life and how she had beaten that struggle. And then as we talked about that, I asked her about her tattoo and the tattoo that was on her arm um, was brought to the, related to the story of, this, of a daughter that she had when she was very young, kind of an unwed mother. She had, it was related to the tattoo. And then that led to the story of the man that she had recently married. She told me that story. And then when I told her a little bit about me, what do you do for a living? <laughs> when I told her a little bit about me, then we started talking about um, the church that she grew up in. She's from Houston, Texas. And what that church meant to her and what that church no longer meant to her. Okay? Now, when this whole conversation was over, literally, phew, lasted the whole plane ride, the person who was sitting in front of us it was, like a, it was like a comedy. She turned around and said, we're just packing our bags. She said, please forgive me, but I could not help listening to your conversation that you two just had. And I just thought it was fascinating. And we just kind of laughed, smiled at each other because we had only just recently, but probably almost before, just before the plane landed, had we actually, actually shared our first names. You know what I mean? She would have thought we were best of friends. We hardly knew each other. Here's my point. Are you praying for open doors? If you have a biblical worldview, I don't know if you do. What's a biblical worldview? A biblical worldview says this, that God 
is sovereign in the world. He's sovereign in nations. He's sovereign in your life. He knows the thoughts and intents of your heart, Psalm 139. He knows the people in your life, and he's already active in the people in your life. Paul, take a breath. Don't be afraid. Don't shut your mouth, because I have many more people in this city. If you have a biblical worldview and you are walking with God, then you need to open your eyes to the awareness that God is actively involved in the people in your life. You just need to join him, right? You just need to join him. You need to pay attention to the people in your life. You need to pray for open doors. And finally, you need to join the conversation. I choose that word carefully, although it's the Bible's word, not mine. I think most people that I talk to are not, I'm talking about outsiders. It's his word, that is, people are not Christians. Most of the people that I talk to that are non-Christians are not looking for answers to difficult questions. Some are, like, you know, the question of suffering. But most people I talk to that I actually get into a conversation with, right, whether it's a long-time, you know, neighbor, friend, gym buddy, or someone on an airplane, it's usually not some difficult theological question. Sometimes it is. But what they really want to know is, how does the gospel of Jesus Christ actually speak to the realities that are in their life? That's what they really want to know. People aren't going to get the answer to that first, most likely, first from a sermon, it's not, sometimes they do, or from a book. They're going to get it from a conversation that they often have about your life, say, before they ever learn about what God has to say about them, they want to know what God has done in your life. I mentioned this when we talked about our Share the Faith message in the first Sunday of October. Very few times in my life has someone come to me and say, listen, Rob, Pastor Rob, whatever, how, must, how do I become a Christian? What must I do to be saved? I mean, once in a while you get that. But people are typically don't ask you how they can become a Christian. That's not, the, how they, that's not their opening line. They say, why are you one? That's what I want to know. Before I'm going to consider it in my life, why are you, Gary, a Christian? Abigail, why are you a Christian? Cheryl, why are you a Christian? Rob, why are you a Christian? Do you know the answer to that question? And yes, because you needed forgiveness, but why specifically? The blind guy in John, John 9 said, I was blind and now I see. Right? Do you know why you are a Christian? Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everybody. Let me say two things about this. Full of grace. What does that mean? It means you don't start if you're even in the conversation because it's outsiders. Maybe you'd say, I don't really talk to non-Christians. Well, then that's where you need to start. Full of grace simply means this. You don't start by telling people what's wrong with them. You start by magnifying the grace of God that's at work in your life. Let me tell you what God's done for me. That's what it means to be full of grace. It means, let me say, before you, before, I know Christians, you know, they think Christians are judgmental and, and, you know, let me just tell you something about me before we go for any further. You know, I was broken. I was lost. 
let me tell you why I'm a Christian. Because I was blind and now I see. My marriage was on a train wreck and God healed my marriage. Uh, you know, I was a, whatever my case is, I was self-righteous and prideful and God healed me and showed me the way, right? It's full of grace. It's not telling people what's wrong with them. It's helping people understand how God's grace has been manifested in their life. Then it says, seasoned with salt. Now, what does that mean? So it's an idiom, which means this, typically. It means speaking the truth. And when we talk about it, it's a little salty. We need to be full of grace. We also need to tell people the truth. The truth about the brokenness in your own life, the brokenness in their life, if you know it, and even judgment, you know? I mean, I don't know if you guys get this, but, you know, we talk about, first of all, there's judgment is coming. But judgment's already here if you have a, if you have a biblical worldview. In other words, some people say, why is the world the way it is? Why is there so much conflict, so much war, so much this, so much that? What the, a biblical worldview tells you this. The Spirit of God is already in the world today, actively restraining sin. And part of the way the Spirit of God actively restrains is to bring judgment. Now, you and I would like to see it become full force. Right? We like to see, you know, the, the whole world, uh, you know, the, the lion lay down with the lamb where sin would ultimately be, would be eliminated. That's coming. But there's already judgment happening in the world today. It's part of the reason the world's the way it is. God is actively restraining sin. If it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit, the world would be far worse than it is. But then there's judgment to come. And we need to be honest about it, guys. We need to, people need to know that judgment is coming. That's how the story ends. But if you can get that far in your conversation, guess what's next? There's one more judgment. The judgment that already came. Right? The judgment that's happened 2,000 years ago. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ was. Did you know that, friend? As scary and thoughtful and sobering is the fact that judgment is taking place in the world today and the judgment is coming. That sounds like such a bad message. Let me tell you the good news. You hear this, the gospel, it's bad news and good news. You start with the bad news, the reality, seasoned with salt. But let me tell you the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. He came from heaven to earth, took on the form of a man, Philippians 2, as a servant, and he died on the cross. He was, he was capital punishment. He took a bullet for you. He was judged for your sin. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Then you get to share that message too. Okay? Let your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt. Pray for people. Pay attention. Pray for open doors. Now we're going we're gonna to do this right now, so get ready. But before we do that, on this Sunday, November the 7th, we're gonna, before we celebrate the gospel, I want to have the band come out and sing a song. This one's not for us to sing. You can sing it if you want to, but it's to listen to as you, as I, think about. Use these couple minutes to simply think about who are you praying for today? Some of you already know it. You've already been doing it. Keep on keeping on. Some of you haven't prayed for a specific person in your life in a very long time. You haven't even thought about it. You haven't been paying attention or praying for open doors. But maybe today's a day in these few minutes as we listen to this song called Send Me, I want you to think about who you might be needing to start praying for. Let's just listen to these lyrics and then I'm gonna let them sing them. If it's bandaging the broken, 
or washing filthy feet, here am I, Lord, send me. If it's loving one another, even when we don't agree, here am I, Lord, send me. The truth cuts like an arrow, I will say it anyway, because here I am, Lord, send me. And if it means that they'll reject me, Lord, I will still obey, because here I am, send me.
I'm standing in you, Lord. I'll be glad I chose to say, Here I am, Lord. Send me. And well done, good and faithful. I live to hear you say, Here I am. not only a celebration of what's to come, broken body and shed blood, but it's also a commissioning, right? Jesus was leaving, but he'd said that same night, right? We call the farewell discourses. I'm leaving, you're staying. As God has sent me, I'm sending you. Uh, that's the whole point of being a Christian, to drink in the love of God, which we celebrate even in this table, and then to exhale that with the people around Lord, here I am, send me. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. You can go ahead and remove the outer uh, piece if you haven't already, this little transparent piece of um, plastic, and take out your, your bread. He said, this is the, represents the, my body, which will be broken for you. Do this in memory of me. Let's eat together.
Our God and Father, we come to you, and I pray for us as a congregation as we just sit in these seats or at our homes. And Lord, we think about, just take a minute to think about what it was that Jesus did on our behalf, on the cross, in the tomb, and out of the tomb. He gave his life so that we might be forgiven of our sins, that we might have the power of the Holy Spirit that not only applies this forgiveness, but gives us that resurrection power to have a new way of life, one not focused on ourselves, our fears, our needs, our wants, Lord, but allows us to be free of those things more and more and to be open to be your messengers in a world that is um, without hope in many cases, without the knowledge of salvation. Lord, I pray for us as a congregation, help us to realize, Lord, that we're not to be spectators. None of us, all of us, students, young and old, are called to be sent into this world, in our worlds, in our communities, in our networks, to share the gospel, to pay attention, to pray for open doors, and to join the conversations. Help us, we pray. Thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. See you Sunday. Watch this brief, next Sunday, watch this brief video.